hands for Brother Parker as he comes and ministers the word. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you all. You may be seated. Amen. We, first of all, count it an honor and a privilege to be in the house of the Lord with you all. And uh, we thank your pastor, Brother Meehan, for the invitation and allowing us to be in service with you on Easter. Amen. I, I, I love the presence of the Lord and that, that we feel here today. And I'm so glad and excited to be able to spend my Easter with you all. Amen. We, uh, we are missionaries, and uh, this is different, probably. Usually on Easter, it's not a missionary service. Amen. But we're thankful that you all uh, are having us here, even though it is a holiday. Amen. Amen. We, uh, my wife and I and our two children, which I'm sure you've seen, uh, we, are, we are missionaries to the kingdom of Eswatini. It's a, uh, it's a small little country in southern Africa. It's, as a matter of fact, it is the last remaining true monarch in all of Africa. That simply means we have a king who rules over the nation. And it's not set up like um, England or anything like that, but it's a true monarch. And, uh, and he makes the rules and he enforces them. And, uh, and we say, yes, sir. <laughs> and, uh, but having said that, there's a lot of monarchs around the world. And uh, I am thankful that our king, who's King Maswati III, I'm thankful that he allows the United Pentecostal Church to be there. Not every kingdom allows churches um, uh, free, uh, free, uh, freely have service, and we're able to do that. He allows missionaries to be there. And uh, so my wife and I um, and our two children, that's, that's home. That's where we live. We live in the kingdom of Eswatini. And, of course, we're here in the United States right now traveling, uh, raising our budget to be able to go back. Amen. Uh, just to kind of fill you in, if you, you're not very familiar with how missionaries work with the United Pentecostal Church, uh, we are over in the, our field of labor, in our place of calling, for four years. And then after four years, we come back to the United States, and we travel all over the United States and Canada, and going to churches like we are here today, uh, sharing uh, what God is doing in our nation, and also raising funds so we can go back and live. And, uh, and, and, and work there. Amen. I think what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to take you there via video so that you can see a little bit about uh, what God is doing and what we do in the kingdom of Eswati. And then afterwards, my wife is going to testify. And then we'll get into the word of the Lord in just a few minutes. Amen. So as soon as you got it, you can. Sanabanani Bazawani. Translated from Siswati into English means greeting saints of God. I'm Jonathan, and this is my wife Monica, and we are missionaries to the wonderful kingdom of Eswatini in southern Africa. Monica and I met at Indiana Bible College and were married in 2008. We have two children, our son Liam, which was born in 2013, and our daughter Kylie was born in 2015. After several years on the AIM program with United Pentecostal Church International, we arrived at the Kingdom of Eswatini in 2019 as fully appointed missionaries. We quickly found a tremendous need in the United Pentecostal Church of Eswatini. While we have 22 churches across this nation, not one church had a church sign. So after making an appeal uh, for this need to be met, we received a generous offering, and in two months, we were able to design, manufacture, and install church signs all across this nation in every single one of our churches. Another need that we found was, while we were interim pastoring at the United Pentecostal Church in Izawini, they had no plumbing, no proper bathrooms. Um, and so we were able to raise funds and take a four meter by four meter building and convert it into a men's and a women's bathroom. 
We arrived to find welcoming brothers and sisters who were hungry for both relationships and discipleship. We were privileged to be able to interim pastor at one of the 22 churches until a local Swati pastor was able to be installed. Prior to COVID, we were able to implement a new schedule at our local church. This allowed us to start a brand new Sunday school program and to host discipleship classes for the adults and also training and seminars. We would like to say thank you so very much to all the churches who did live streaming during this pandemic. Here in Eswatini, during the lockdown, no children under 10 years of age were allowed to go to an in-person service for over a year. We appreciate so very much all of you who put on children's crusades and children's revivals. The impact this made on my kids' lives was tremendous. They loved singing the songs, doing the motions, participating in any way they could, and they really responded to all the messages. We just want to say thank you so very much from the bottom of our hearts. Our passion and our goal is to see the Eswatini Apostolic Bible Institute grow in numbers and in success. We are seeing a tremendous need for laborers in the harvest of Eswatini. It's just, just like Jesus said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And we know that if through the training and the equipping of men and women, both young and old, in biblical age education, in training, in, in helping them to understand and develop the call that God has placed in their lives, that we can inject more labors into this great and tremendous harvest that we are, what we are experiencing here in Eswatini. The Eswatini Apostolic Bible Institute has six campuses nationwide and about 40 students currently enrolled. At the, the local campus where we are living, in the region we live in, Southern Hoho, we have 12 students uh, that are currently taking classes, and we're seeing them develop and cultivating this desire to fulfill the will of God in their lives. Thank you so very much for all of your prayers and support. Through your continued support of our PIMs, our special projects, and supporting us in prayers, you are helping bring revival to Eswatini. Sia bonga. Sani said we just want to say thank you so much to your pastor and your pastor's wife and to each and every one of you for allowing us to be here today amen today is a wonderful day it's a wonderful day it's a it's a day full of hope and it's a day full of redemption and it's it's a wonderful promise is what it is and you know, uh, three days prior was not such a terrific day. It was a day of death, and um, but it was necessary to bring today. And um, and I just want to say on this Easter Sunday that I am so thankful that we know who Jesus is. Amen. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to be able to read his word and to know his word and that he did make it as simple as that a child can understand it. It's not complicated. It's he made it easy. And I'm so thankful today. Amen. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to come here and to worship Jesus because even through the past couple of years where it's not been so great, it's been rough. We've all gone through some things. It's all affected us different, but we've all gone through it. 
God's brought us out on the other side, and he is still good. And he still loves us. And he still thinks about us. And he's still moving in our lives. Amen. And so I just want to say thank you so much for having us. I'm so excited to celebrate this wonderful Easter day with you. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to continue to do here and in Eswatini and in your lives. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. One of our, and you would have seen this in our, in our video, our, one of our greatest goals uh, is to get the Bible school, our Bible school up and running in a full-time capacity. Currently, right now, we are uh, basically treating our Bible school as a startup, and um, we are only teaching six classes, uh, part-time, kind of a night school type situation. And we are teaching the book of Acts. We are teaching apostolic doctrine, Christian living, evangelism, uh, life of Christ, and one other class. Amen. Did I say it? I, I'm, I'm missing one. I'll, I'll think of it in just a little bit. Um, um, but, but we're teaching six courses uh, cr- currently in our Bible school. And uh, um, because of this, we, we are trying to do is co- uh, cultivate a desire for others to learn more and more about the Word of God. The Bible tells us that we shall know the truth, and it is the truth that will set us free. And so this is the most valuable education we could ever have. Amen. I'm, thank, I'm thankful for, for uh, universities. I am. I'm thankful for doctors, of course. I'm thankful for lawyers. I'm thankful for all, all of those things that we need in life. Amen. But those things are only temporary. Amen. What we do for Christ will last for eternity. And so we need to, we all need to be students of God's word. Amen. And so as God is working and moving in uh, the, the kingdom of Eswatini, we are in desperate need for a full-time Bible school where we can really uh, uh, dig deep into God's word and begin to equip people, uh, men and women, in the word of God to send them back out into the harvest field that God has for us. Amen. See, I, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for all that he has done for us. And obviously, this is Easter. We're going to uh, especially celebrating the resurrection, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. But we all hopefully understand here today that the purpose of Jesus, uh, his commission, his whole, the whole reason why God robed himself in flesh and died for us and rose again is because he was seeking and saving uh, he was seeking into, uh, into, he was he was seeking and saving that which was lost. Amen. I'm sorry, jumbling my words up here. Amen. Uh, that that was his purpose. That was his mission. And everything that Jesus did, from every miracle, from every lesson he taught, from every time he spoke to children, whatever it may be, in the in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything he did was with the purpose of seeking and saving that which was lost. Amen. And something that we might overlook in his life, and as far as that mission that he had, was that he chose 12 men to follow him. And for three and a half years, basically, Jesus poured the word of God into those 12 disciples. Amen. He taught them how to study. He taught them how to, to understand the scripture. He taught them how to um, pray. He taught them how to minister. He sent them out into the community um, in groups to minister out into their communities. You realize that the, the 12 disciples were the very first Bible school of the New Testament church. Amen. that's exactly what the 12 disciples were. And on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says they turned their world upside down. Amen. See, I, I, I cannot start a church in every town and every village in Eswatini by myself. I cannot do it just as your pastor cannot start a church in Stewart and in all the other, uh, all the cities in Florida that need it. Amen. We can't do that. We will die very, very young. Amen. We can't do it. It's, it's physically impossible to put, because it takes, you have to put everything into it. Amen. And, um, and so we can't reach all of Eswatini by ourselves. But I stand in front of you today with all confidence that we can reach Swatini, amen, through the equipping and the sending out of labors into the field. Amen. If we, get, if we get men and women in our Bible school 
And we begin to train them not only in the Word of God, but practical things. Amen. The Bible, you know, this is, I'm, I'm getting off on a tangent here. Hopefully that's okay. Do you know that the Bible talks more about money and handling money than it does talk about repentance? It really does. There are more scriptures in the Bible about money management than there are about repentance. Amen. We, so that's, that's a part of living for God, how we manage our finances. It really is. And so Bible school is more than just studying the Word of God, but it's also we have pastors. They need to learn how to budget. They've got to learn how to, how, how to uh, uh, properly handle other people's funds. We can't, you, you give an offering, we can't just use it for, you know, the boat fund, you know, here being here on the coast. Um, uh, you know, we, we, there's proper management and all of that we go into. So it's more than just the Word of God, but it's the practical or the business side of church. Amen. And, uh, and we're thankful for God's hand and what he's doing in our nation. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. All right. This is not a typical uh, Easter scripture that we will read today. Uh, but we will read uh, 1 John chapter 5 in starting with verse 3. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to stand for the reading of the word um, and show honor and respect to God's word. It's not necessary, but it's a good practice to have. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 3. Amen. If you don't have it in your Bibles, it is on the screen. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Verse 5. For or who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to bring your attention back to verse 4, which says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Amen. I believe that God has called each and every one of us to be an overcomer. Amen. We all are going to face things in life, both spiritual and just normal everyday things in life. Amen. But God wants us to be an overcomer. Amen. Uh, uh, And so I want to preach to us today on how to be an overcomer. Amen. How to be an overcomer. Amen. Let's pray and ask God to bless us here today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us to live for you, God, to do your will in everything, God, that we do, Lord. You want us to overcome, Lord. Hallelujah. You want us to to rise above the filthiness of this world and and, and live for you and to, to live a godly life. We ask you, Jesus, to help us, Lord, to understand more about you and your will for our lives. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. How to be an overcomer. Uh, We all have struggles in our lives. Uh, This isn't something new. As a matter of fact, ever since the very beginning, uh, ever since the sin of of Adam in the Garden of Eden, eating the forbidden fruit, since then we've all had problems. Amen. There's, there's no one who is above issues. There's not one individual who does not suffer in life. Amen. We all go through different things, different trials, different ways uh, of life, but yet we all face heartache. We all face trouble. We all face uh, difficult situations. And I believe that it is God's will that each and every one of us here today overcome. Amen. It, it isn't, this isn't this isn't a, a, a um, you know, what do you call those seminars where people get up and tell mo- motivational speak? This is not a motivational speaking engagement that I am here today, but it is true that God wants us to overcome. Yes. Amen. Uh, but there, there is a process that God has for us, and, and we must obey His Word. Amen. Yes, uh, you'll, 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 you may be even, be even here today have asked the question, how could a loving God ever send someone to hell? 
How could God condemn anyone if God is love? The truth is, He doesn't condemn anybody. We condemn ourselves by disobedience to His Word. And so we have to do our part. We have to do our best to understand that He has called us out of this world and into His marvelous light. And so for us to be an overcomer, we've got to first understand that He has called us to overcome. Amen. As Jesus Christ overcame death, as Jesus Christ overcame the grave, as He overcame all of the things of every temptation, the Bible tells us He was, uh, uh, in all points, He was tempted like you and I, yet, yet He knew no sin. What is that saying? That it was that it, what the Bible is saying is Jesus, at some point in His life, faced every single type of temptation that we could face in life. But He overcame them. He did not sin. Amen. It helps, I guess, when your God manifested in the flesh. Amen. But the truth is that resurrection power, uh, that, 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 the, the power that raised Christ up from the grave, amen, is the same spirit that He puts in us. It's the same spirit that, that, that comes into our lives and helps us to be like Him. Amen. But we all go through struggles. Every single one of us in life. And, uh, and if you think you're alone in your struggle, you're not. You aren't. And uh, I, I, I noticed, I have noticed over the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, that there has been an increase of different types of programs in our world. Not just here in North America, but we have them in Eswatini as well. But programs like the AA or or other different, different kinds of substance abuse programs, or psychiatrists, you see the rise of those uh, that, that are there to try to help people with mental health issues, and anxieties, and, 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 uh, and you're seeing even in our world, uh, I, I don't know the, the, the number uh, specifically, but during the COVID time, the increase of suicides has just gone up in an astronomical amount, and people are feeling pressure, they're feeling depression, they're feeling all of these things, and there are, there are countless numbers of programs that have been instituted in our society to try to help people to overcome whatever it is that is limiting them in life. And I think that this is a good thing. Uh, I am all for programs if they work, um, uh, because, but the reason why I think it's a good thing is because finally, maybe our society is coming to the point where they realize that we can't overcome by ourselves. That we need somebody to rely on. We need to, to, we need to get together with somebody. And, and this is what AA is all about. we got to get together and admit our problems and begin to rely on each other as accountability partners and, 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 and begin to unburden ourselves and let the psychiatrist and the therapist all understand what we're going through and begin to rely on others. And they, it's almost as if these programs, they, they have almost the right idea, but unfortunately they have the wrong who. Amen, because the truth is, and I, like I said, I'm not against them. They have their purpose. They have their place. But the truth is, this world doesn't need any more programs. Amen, and you don't need any more programs. What we need is some more Jesus. Amen, because whom the Son has set free is truly free, indeed, the Word of God says. And so no matter what it is that we are bound by, He is the answer. Amen. The Bible says He can set the vilest of all sinners free. And so it doesn't matter what we are bound by here today or what our struggle is. Jesus literally can set you free. Amen. There is no addiction that is greater than our God. There is no mental health issue that is greater than our God. There is no substance abuse that is, or physical abuse or mental abuse that is greater than our God. Amen. As a matter of fact, our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think. Amen. And so our, we need to understand something here today. That if we are going to overcome, what we need is Him. We need Him. We need Him. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him. 
and he shall direct your path. In Judges chapter 7, Gideon is waiting for God to send them into battle against the Midianites. Now, I love this story. It's just a wonderful story. But it's very interesting. It's more than just a children's Sunday school lesson. But Gideon is waiting for God to send them into battle against their enemies, the Midianites. And there God speaks to Gideon. And he does not say go into battle, but this is what he says. He says, the people that are with thee are too many. Um, uh, He says, uh, the people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, mine own hand hath saved me. That, That might be a little bit hard to understand. That is a very King James scripture. Amen. So let me give you my own interpretation of what God was saying. Here God speaks to Gideon and he says, Gideon, you cannot go into battle against the Midianites because your army is too big. You have too many people in your military. Too powerful, too mighty, too large. And you cannot go into battle and defeat the Midianites because if you win, if you defeat the Midianites, you will take all of the credit. He says, you will vaunt yourselves. You'll be puffed up. You'll become prideful. And you will say, it was because of my own hand that I am saved. And God was wanting Gideon and the Israelites to understand that victory is not a product of themselves, but victory is a product of God. Amen. And so he tells Gideon, tell those who are fearful and afraid to leave. 33,000 or excuse me, 22,000 soldiers left, leaving only 10,000 soldiers remaining. 22,000 soldiers were afraid. But God spoke and he said, guess what? There's still too many. We're going to go down the water. We're going to try them there. So they go down to the river, and there God says, those that lap with their tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself, and likewise those that bow down upon their knees. So you're now going to divide the remaining 10,000 into two groups. And so there he observed them as they drank. And those that lapped of the water with their tongue, they got down on their face and got in that water, just like a dog. They set them on one side. There was 300 men, and there was 9,700 men who bowed down upon their knees and began to drink of that water. Well, God spoke to Gideon, and he said, It will be by the 300 men will I save you and deliver you, or the enemy, into your hands. So now Gideon's army of over 30,000, is dwindled down to just 300 men in Gideon. Now listen to how they go into battle. As far as we know, from the word, as far as we know, they didn't bring their swords. Uh, We don't know. As far as we know, they didn't bring their bows and their arrows and their armor and all this, because all that we do know is that in one hand they held a trumpet, and in the other hand they held a torch that they had lit on fire, and then they covered it with a pitcher so that the light could not be seen. And the, and the army of Israel went to the valley where the Midianites were, and they were on the rim of that valley, and they surrounded that rim. And when everyone was in their proper place, the Midianites were sleeping down there in the valley. When everyone was in their place, the word was given. They began to blow on their trumpets. They broke the pitcher, and they let the light shine, and they also began to shout out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That was their battle tactics. I don't to think today that seems like a very successful tactic. You know, they're not in the Pentagon today discussing uh, uh, um, 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 Judges chapter 7. It's like, this is how we're going to defeat, you know, whoever our next enemy is going to be. Doesn't seem very logical that this would work, but something happened down there in the valley. The Midianites who were asleep, they woke up hearing trumpets and shouting and they came out of their tents and they saw fire all around them on the top of the mountain, on the rim of the valley. And so they drew out their swords and they began to charge at who was in front of them. And it just happened to be their fellow soldiers from the same army, from the tent across from them. And the armies of the Midianites there in the valley began to war against themselves until they utterly destroyed utterly defeated themselves without one Israelite lifting up a hand in the battle. Why is this important today? Why is this important? 
It's because not one Israelite could leave that day and say, it was because I am so skilled with a sword that I am victorious. Not one Israelite could say, it's because I am so accurate with the bow and the arrow that, I am, that we were victorious. Not one general could say, it's because of my superior battle tactics that we defeated our enemy. But every one of them could leave that day and only say, it was not my own hand that saved me. I am not saved because of my might. I am not saved because of my self-righteousness. I am not saved because of the things I can do. I am only victorious because God is good, because he loves us, and he brings victory into our lives. Church, it is not our own hand that saves us here today. We need him to bring victory into our lives. Amen. The truth is, when we make it to heaven, not one individual in heaven is going to be saying, I deserve it. Not one, not one individual in heaven is going to say, oh, it's because of my own hand that I am saved. No, all we will do is fall before the throne room of grace and begin to worship our God and Savior because if it wasn't for him, we would all be lost. We would all be lost. See, it is God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sin, he hath quickened us. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. He has saved us and called us to an holy calling. Not according to our own works, not my own hand, but according to his purpose and design. So, so many times in life, We struggle with overcoming because we are trying to do it ourselves. We're trying to figure out life all by it ourselves and not relying on the one who has already conquered this life. Amen. Amen. Everyone say, it's not my own hand. Amen. I'm glad we got that down. Amen. I I, I am serious when I say this. That's one of our biggest struggles. Amen. Because we try to figure everything out. By ourselves. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I know who says, well, I've got problems that I need to take care of before I can come to church. No, we come to church because it is God who can take care of us. Amen. We, we are powerless compared to our God. Amen. He says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. So when we try to figure out life all by ourselves, we end up usually making a mess of it. But when we rely upon him, he will take care of us. Amen. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. John, the revelator, John, was seeing a vision in heaven in Revelation chapter 12 in verse 10. And in this, in this vision, John says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. That phrase, now is come salvation, means that salvation has come to a completion. It's fully completed. What, What John is seeing is heaven. Because while we are here on earth, we have the opportunity to fall away. Uh, Just like Demas, who forsook the gospel, loving the world greater than Christ. He forsook the gospel, and so he fell away. Amen. Each and every one of us, while we are here on earth, have that opportunity. Amen. Where we might backslide. That's the phrase we use. We might turn away from righteousness and begin to go after the things of this world. But here John is seeing the completion of salvation because they're in heaven. They're in heaven where there's no more tears, no more suffering, no more temptation. And so this is what he's seeing. He's seeing the completion of salvation. And it goes on to say that now has come salvation, strength, kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, Satan, is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Okay, who's, who's them? Who are the people? 
Who are the individuals that are there in heaven when salvation has come to a completion? And they did, and, and Satan was trying his best to accuse them and to destroy them and to bring them down. Who are these individuals? Well, the next verse, verse 11 of Revelation chapter 12 tells us they're overcomers. These are people who are overcomers. They, and the Bible tells us exactly how they overcame. How they overcame Satan. How they overcame their own flesh. Uh, How they overcame all of the obstacles in life that we will face. The Bible says they overcame him, speaking of Satan specifically, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And because of that, they loved not their lives unto death. What that last phrase simply means is because of the blood that God had shed for them, and because of the word of their very own testimony, they were willing to die a martyr's death. They were willing to stand before the kings, stand before the, 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 the centurions, stand before anyone before the, uh, and, and say, I will not deny what I have experienced because of the blood and their testimony. So they would love their lives even to death. So the Bible tells us how to be an overcomer. Amen. How to be an overcomer. Blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. This is where we're going to get into Easter. Blood. See, ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, blood has become a requirement. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Or the effect of sin in our lives always leads to death. So once sin entered into this world through Adam... Not Eve, everyone. It was Adam who sinned. He was the one who disobeyed. Adam's sin brought death into this world. So once sin entered the world, death entered into this world. And the only way around this problem of sin in our lives is something has to die. Because the wages of sin is death. So once sin is committed, death is a requirement. Now throughout the Old Testament... They emphasized this through sacrifice. The Jews, the Hebrews, they understood this problem of sin and that there had to be a sacrifice, there had to be death. And so once a year, they would bring that sacrificial lamb to the high priest and they would offer it as an atonement for their sins and that God would forgive them and he would push back their penalty of sin for a whole year. But the very next year, they would have to do the process over and over And over again, because the lamb was a temporary fix. It was just a band-aid over a wound, but the wound was not healing. Keeps it clean a little bit for a little while, but you're going to have to replace the band-aid. So now once we enter into the New Testament, it is important to understand that the message does not change. The wages of sin is still death. Death and blood are still a requirement. But once we reach the New Testament, there is one thing that does change, and that is the actual sacrifice. See, it is neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but it is by His own blood. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. The Bible tells us that He gave Himself for our sins. That He might deliver us from this present evil world. It also says that He gave Himself for us. That He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. See, what I'm trying to help us to understand here today is that the only reason why we can overcome, it's not our own hand that will save us, but we are only here Because while we were yet a sinner, he died for the ungodly. While we were lost in sin, Christ paid the price for us to be saved. The Bible tells us we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's redemption. That's what Calvary, that's what the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection are all about. It's all about redemption. He has redeemed us through his blood. So what is redemption? 
Redemption simply is the purchase back of something that has been lost. Okay? The easy definition, I'm an easy guy. So I like easier definitions, even though that's not very difficult. But the easiest definition for, re- for uh, redemption is simply the price has been paid. All right? Isn't that wonderful when you go to a store and you go and you want to buy an item, but the price has already been paid? You have the gift card, you know, you don't have to waste your own money, amen, but it's free to you because somebody else has already paid the price. That's, that's technically redemption. But when we look at what Christ did for us, he redeemed us with his own blood. Let me, let me quickly, I'm going to try to be quick, if that's okay with you all. Um, Describe to you the way I view redemption, okay? So we're all going to imagine here today the way, this is my illustration, my, the way I view redemption. So imagine with me we are sitting in a courtroom, and there's a trial that is taking place. And there's God. He's the righteous judge, and he's sitting there on the judgment seat. He's got his judicial robe on, his black robe and all that. It's in a Swatini. We, they, they wear the powdered wigs. It looks, looks ridiculous. I don't know why anyone does that. I think they still do it in England, too. But anyways, no, God wasn't wearing a wig. <laughs> in, in, my, in my imagination, he's not wearing one of those white powdered wigs. So anyways, so God's sitting there on the judgment seat, and he's overseeing this trial that's taking place. The trial that is taking place is mankind. We are on trial for the crimes we have committed against God's law, His Word. And so the the prosecutor, or the accuser of the brethren, Satan, he goes over all of the evidence. He tells the judge, he tells the jury, each and every sin that each and every one of us have ever committed in our lives. So what do they do after the trial? They, they go to the deliberation. The jury goes out to the deliberation room. There they deliberate. Probably wasn't very long. They come back. The judge asks, how do you find the defendant? How do you find mankind? And the jury says, we have found mankind guilty on all accounts. All have sinned and all have come short of your glory, God. There's not one individual who has No sin in their life. They've all sinned. They are all guilty for breaking the law. Well, what happens when someone is found guilty? There's a penalty. There is a penalty. There is a sentencing process. You what is now what let me ask this? What is the proper sentence for someone who is found guilty for their crimes against the laws of God? We've already talked about it. The wages of sin is death. So we all were found guilty for our crimes against God's law, and then we were all sentenced to death because we were found guilty. Okay? This is all, imagine, we're in a courtroom. This is what's happening. And all of a sudden, God, who is sitting there on the judgment seat, he's hearing all of this, and he's there witnessing this whole process, and something begins to billow inside of him, and that is his love and his compassion for his creation. And so our God, as, as our verdict was given, given out that we're guilty, and our sentence was given to us that we were to be sentenced to death, His love and His compassion took over. And He got up off, off of His judgment seat, and He took off His judicial robe, and He robed Himself in something else. He robed Himself in flesh. He robed Himself in something that could bleed. He robed himself in something that had lungs that had breath in it. He robed himself in in something that had feet that nails could be driven through. He robed himself in something that that a spear could go through the side and nails could go through the hands and a crown of thorns could be shoved on the head. He went and he robed himself in something that could die. And Jesus Christ, who is God Almighty, our judge, became our sacrifice. Amen. That's redemption. See, I deserve to die today because of the sins I have committed. But Jesus has paid the price. I should be on Calvary outside of Jerusalem. But Jesus has paid the price with his very own blood. That's redemption. 
Our judge became our sacrifice. He took on our guilty verdict himself. And he said, even though you are guilty and I am not guilty, I am going to become sin or I'm going to become the penalty for you all so that you can have life. He died so that we could have life. Not just any life, but that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life is everlasting life. Because of Calvary, our hope goes beyond this world. Because of Calvary, we have a home in glory that is being prepared for us. Amen. Because of what Jesus Christ did, amen, we can experience everlasting life. It's not my own hand that has saved me, but I am here because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of what He did for me. Because of what He has done. See, the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We're having a baptismal today. Someone's going to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible tells us when you are baptized in Jesus' name, it is for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. So when you are baptized in Jesus' name, what that means, it completely washes away, it removes, it remits all of your sins from your life. That is only, that only has the ability to do anything because of the shedding of blood. You realize if Christ did not die for us, we would just be getting a nasty bath. As a matter of fact, there would be no purpose to life because we couldn't overcome as he overcame the grave so that we can overcome the grave. He rose again so that we could rise again. He, 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 he gave his life so that we could experience everlasting life. So when we, are, when we repent of our sins, we're taking part of his death. The Bible says we're crucifying our flesh We are killing our own fleshly desires. And we are saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I don't want to do it ever again. And the word repentance actually means to turn around. And so you're you're telling God, I'm walking this direction. I'm fulfilling the lust of my own flesh. But God, I'm sorry for doing this. I don't want to do it anymore. Now I'm going to turn my life around and I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to pursue after righteousness. It's a change of direction. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we get so, uh, we try to make Christianity easy to say that repentance is only admitting that you are a sinner or admitting that you've done something wrong. Amen. But God has called us out. Amen. Repentance is a, 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 a change of direction in your life. It's a change of mindset that I'm not going to be that man anymore. I'm not going to be that woman anymore that does those terrible things. But I'm going to be a man or a woman of God. That's repentance, but that only takes place. The forgiveness of sins only takes place because he died. He died for us. We've already talked about remission of sins. When we're baptized in Jesus' name, it is for the remission of sins. The, Paul says that we are buried with Christ through baptism. Amen. It is a spiritual circumcision, the Bible says in, in uh, 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 one of Paul's epistles, talking about baptism, that it is literally God removing the sin from our lives. As a physical circumcision takes the skin off, Spiritual circumcision, it's of the heart, and it's taking the sin out. And Paul likens that. That takes place only because of the burial. When the man dies, you put him in the ground. Right? Amen. When Jesus died, he was put in the tomb. When we die to our flesh, when we repent of our sins, it's only proper to bury that dead man. Amen. And we bury that dead man through baptism in Jesus' name. Amen. But we do not keep the dead man in the water. Amen. We don't keep the dead man buried because because of what we're doing here today. Amen. Because Jesus Christ resurrected. And the Bible tells us that he rose again so that uh, we could rise together to walk in newness of life. Amen. So when we experience the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is God's power in you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, when it is in you, he quickens us. 
That means he makes us alive again. He changes us into a new creature. Amen. And this is where we get into the second part of how to be an overcomer. And that is through the word of our testimony. See, the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. This is important because the only way we could have a testimony is because of a result of the blood of the Lamb. Amen. And I want, let, me, let, me just, let me just stop here and say this. My time is coming to a close soon. Amen. My wife doesn't believe me, but I'm telling myself. I'm telling myself that I'm going to be finished soon. But I, I feel that I need to, let me just say this. Um, testimony. A testimony is the evidence or the proof of something, right? That's a testimony. And the truth is, if you do not have evidence or if you do not have the proof of God living in you, that probably means he's not. Because God, when he touches somebody, when God moves upon someone, he never leaves them the same. He never does. He never does. The only people in the Gospels, and this is just from my memory, so I, I, my, your pastor can straighten me out if I'm wrong, but from my memory, uh, the only people that did not experience change in their life was the people from his own home that rejected him. But everyone else, they were healed. They, they, they ate of the, the loaves and the fishes. They, they were touched spiritually by him. They witnessed what he can do. Amen. It's a testimony. It's the evidence or the proof of the existence of something. In this case, it's God in us. So the blood of the Lamb, remember, it's not my own hand that has saved me. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So our testimony is the fact that he changes us. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, except ye be born again, you cannot... See the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was confused. He was a very smart man. But for some reason he was confused that Jesus was talking about a natural birth. And so he asked a question that we all, hopefully none of us would ask this same question. How can a man when he's old enter into his mother's womb and be born again? Like, this guy was an educated man. He should have known that's impossible. Right? So Jesus simplifies it for for him. He says, except a man be born again of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What was Jesus telling Nicodemus that day? He was saying there has to be a change. Your first natural birth, we are born in sin. As David said, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. That's who we are. We are sinners. We are lost, but when we are born again, there's a change in our life. Amen. We actually have a new name. We actually have a new nature. We have a new spirit. We have a new father. Amen. Who puts his spirit in us. Amen. Where I I used to be, I, I guess technically by the law, I still am Jonathan Parker. Parker is my father's last name. I I took on my father's name. Amen. But when I was born again, and I was buried with Jesus in baptism, I took on a new name. Amen. Now I have a name that is above every name. Not my own, but his name. Amen. When I'm buried in Jesus' name, his name is now applied to my life. According to Romans 8, I can now cry out. Abba, Father, or Father, Father, because he has adopted me into his family. And it's not just, it's not just a foster. I am not a foster child. Amen. But I have his name. And because I have his name, I have his inheritance. And he loves me as his own. It's a testimony. It's a change. It's the evidence. It's the evidence. We need to have evidence. We, this is a Pentecostal church, and we emphasize receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking evidence of speaking in other tongues as God gives the utterance. But that right there, that, that is the initial or the very first evidence of someone who has been filled with His Spirit. They will speak in tongues, but that is not all. 
Amen. That is not all, but God has wanted, wants to put His Spirit in us and help us to overcome. Because His Spirit will cause us to overcome. So a testimony. See, how do I know? Oh, let me start by saying this. Uh, I, I, my wife and I, when we were in Bible school in Indiana, we, in the city of Indianapolis, Indiana Bible College. Anyways, um, uh, w- the president of the Bible school at that time, was his name was Brother Paul Mooney. And just a tremendous pillar in the United Pentecostal Church. Just love him very much. All right, a couple, several of you all know him. Amen, that's good. Um, I'm sure he's been to Florida uh, at some point in his life. But um, it, there's one, one thing that he does when he preaches is he has a phrase that he uses. And he uses it a lot. And it's the phrase, I know that I know that I know. He always says it three times. I know that I know that I know. So what is Brother Mooney saying when he's, pre- when he's preaching and he, and he says that phrase? He's saying whatever it is from the Word of God that he is preaching, he knows so much that there is absolutely no room for doubt in his mind. I know that I know that I know. So today, I, I'm sitting here before you, and I'm going to say this. How do I know that God is a healer? Well, we, we know that from the Word of God. The Bible says He can heal all manner of disease and sicknesses. He is known as our great physician. We understand that God is a healer. But today, I know that I know that I know that He is a healer because He has healed me. I have a testimony. I have the evidence. How do I know that God can deliver you or anyone, no matter what it is that we are spiritually bound by? Well, we can read about the delivering power from the Word of God, but I know that I know that I know that He can deliver because He has delivered me. I have a testimony. How do I know that God is still pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh? Well, we can read about it in the book of Acts and even in the, in the, uh, uh, the epistles. It alludes to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and God's Spirit being inside of people all the time. And we can read about it all the time throughout the Scripture. But I know that I know that I know that He is still pouring out His Spirit because He has filled me. I have a testimony. Not only do I have that testimony, but I have become the testimony. I have become the evidence of God's love. I have become the evidence of the cross. I have become the evidence of the resurrection. Because that same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave, it now dwells in me. I am a walking, living, breathing testimony of what God can do in someone's life. You have to have a testimony. What is our testimony? Our testimony today is I once was lost. He doesn't leave us the same. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I can see. I used to walk after the flesh, but now I walk after the Spirit. I used to be carnally minded. Now I am spiritually minded. He has turned my mourning into dancing. He has turned my sorrow into joy. He has given me peace that passes all understanding. He has taken away my stony heart and given me a flesh of heart, uh, uh, a good godly flesh, uh, uh, fleshly heart. This is what happens when God gets a hold of your life. He does not leave you the same, but he gets a, puts a testimony in you. He changes your life. He changes it where you are, might be unrecognizable. Amen. I know, that, I know this, this, um, uh, the story of Legion, you know, Legion in the Bible. Uh, who was a, a man who was filled with over 2,000 devils in him. I know this was before Calvary, amen, but one thing that's very interesting about him is that when God delivered him from devil, devil possession, the people in his community were scared of him because his change was so dramatic. Amen. That's what God needs to do in our lives. Amen. That your family says, oh, I, I used to know you. You used, used to do this. You know, who, are, who is this new creature? They, by, the Bible says, if therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have a testimony. You have the testimony. Amen. Stand with me. You know, there's a man in the Bible called Simon Peter. 
And he was a, he's a very interesting man, an apostle called by God. He's the one who held the keys of the kingdom. He's the one who had the revelation that Jesus asked, who do, who do you say that I am? He said, well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, upon this rock, upon this revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he gave him the keys to the kingdom. It was the apostle Paul, or excuse me, the apostle Peter who unlocked the door of salvation to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, and then in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentiles. That's us. It was him who unlocked it. He had the keys. But there was a different Simon Peter before the day of Pentecost, before Acts chapter 2. You find a totally different man. Here was a man who was all talk, but when opposition came, he ran away. We probably all know people that way, that talk a big game, but the first time someone stands up to them, they run away. So here was a man that in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was praying, the last moments before he was taken into captivity to be crucified, and all he wanted was his disciples to be close to him. And he wanted his inner, inner group, Peter, James, and John, to be really close to him. But opposition came. Judas and the Romans, the Jews the, that were there, they came. And Judas betrayed him, Jesus, with a kiss. What did Peter do? He drew out his sword or whatever he had, and dagger. He cut off that dude's ear. And then he scampered off in the woods like a deer. And then he, well, I, I guess I should probably see what's going on. So he followed from afar off, made his way into to, to, uh, um, the high priest courtyard where, he was, where Jesus was being put on trial by the Jewish court. And there he begins to warm himself in the fire. It was cold that night. Three times people came up to him and said, you're one of Jesus' followers. I recognize you. I recognize your accent. I recognize this. You, you're from Galilee. You're a follower of Jesus. And three times he denied ever knowing Jesus. Cursed that he even knew who Jesus was. Of course, the rooster crowed. He wept, went away and wept bitterly, realizing what he had done. The man who said, who told Jesus, I will, I, 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 will, I, will, I will die with you. I will, I'm not going to, I will never forsake you. I will never betray you, Jesus. Jesus is like, huh, just, just wait a couple hours. Three times you're going to deny me. This same man, this same man who ran away, the same man who denied knowing who Jesus was, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, God had filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Opposition came. People were making fun of him. These men, these are crazy men. There are all these individuals, 120 people up here, they're crazy. They're drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and they are wasted. They are babbling. They're making all this crazy noise. I don't know what all they're doing, but they're drunk. These people, these are, these, they're, they're, they're supposed to be godly people, and here they are. Look at all these idiots up there. But it was Peter. He didn't run away. He didn't deny who Jesus was. But this is what he did. He stood up in front of the multitudes of people and said, no, we are not drunk as you think we are. Amen. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then they began, then he began to preach to them. You know that Jesus that you crucified? He was the Christ. That Jesus that you, that you humiliated, that Jesus who you cried Hosanna to, and then a few days later you said crucify him, that same one, he is both Lord and Christ, he is our Redeemer, and he has risen from the grave, and he can fill you with his Spirit. What was the difference between Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter on the day of Pentecost? He had a testimony. He had the evidence. God's Spirit was living inside of him. And that boldness that talks about in Revelation chapter 10, amen, that they would even love their lives unto death because they have a testimony.
Amen. Nobody can tell me that there's better cheesecake in this world than my mother's cheesecake. Because I have tasted it. I have experienced it. And it's a challenge in my life to find the best cheesecake. And I haven't found any. And I'm not joking either. I've never tasted cheesecake better than my mom's cheesecake. But if I had never tasted it, I couldn't tell you about it. I couldn't tell you about it. And if you have never experienced the everlasting love of God, amen, you can still experience it today. Amen. He rose again so that you could rise to walk in newness of life, that you can overcome. Not by your own hand are you saved, but you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Amen. Get your testimony. Carry it with you. I want to turn this over to your pastor. He can do the altar call or whatever you feel like you need to do. Please do. Amen. But let's lift up our hands as he's coming and just begin to pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Right now, we want to invite everyone to come down to this altar. If you've not experienced that wonderful new life that he's talking about, we want to encourage you to come down.